Welcome to the Bliss Seekers Podcast. Our podcast is intended to inspire people to discover their true purpose and follow their bliss. We're on every major platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Please make sure you like, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast and please enjoy the show. So when I saw it, I kicked rocks at it. Okay, that was stupid. When I kicked rocks at it, the front legs came up. Oh, no. What they tell you is that when the front legs came up, they're about to jump. They have a three-foot vertical in any direction. Wow, that's more than most humans. So when when the legs came up, I screamed. I was like, ah! and I broke out running. I was like, whew, okay, this is nothing. I turned around. It was chasing me. They move very fast. And when I tell you I turned, it was probably a good two feet from me. Yeah, I freaked. So I'm, I, I literally ran to the point to where my heels were kicking my behind. That's not an exaggeration. That's adrenaline, right? Yeah. And when I got in the expandable, I jumped on my bed and one of my roommates, I, to this day, I don't know his name. I never knew his name. He was just, we were all just thrown together. He was like, you okay, dude? I was like, Camel Spider was chasing me. He was like, the same thing happened to me yesterday. Holy shit. So, and I was like, he was like, they're huge, bro. I'm going to go back to my bed. He didn't want to go out the door in case it was there. Welcome back to the show. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, he was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, the youngest of 12. He's a father of two children, a boy 10 and a girl 9, a 20-year retired military vet, and the founder and owner of Mnet Solutions, LLC. Please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Mario Ruffin. Great, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm very, very good, right? So, um, Jessica, how's it going? Good, good, good. I'm ready to, to ready to roll here. All right, so let's roll. Um, <laughs> so so uh, basically, Birmingham, Alabama, let's talk about that because... Um, you know, I might be there for about a month. <laughs> What's it like growing up in Birmingham, the youngest of 12? It was not a lot of food. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, Birmingham is great. Um, I'm one of those people that uh, anytime someone says, you know, oh, man, what about, you know, because one of the biggest things that's known about Birmingham is civil rights movement. So people ask, you know, is it, is it really racist? Is it this? And some of the things, yeah, but for the most part, it's just a beautiful city. It's really big, uh, very industrial. It, the name came from actually Birmingham, England. Okay. So it's a very huge industrial city over there. And so a number of surrounding cities came from that. Uh, Brighton, which is a smaller town that I actually grew up in. Bessemer, which is another name that came from an industrialized city over in England. So I guess we were just obsessed with the British, I guess. I don't know, but <laughs> a lot of those names came from there for that reason. Um, yeah, that's, so that was one of the biggest reasons. That's interesting. I, I never thought about that, but but it's very true, right? And um, uh, so talk about the city. I mean, has it been a long time that you've been? Because you're in Arizona now, right? Yes, I, I currently reside in Arizona. I moved back to Alabama after my 20-year stint in the military. Um Thank goodness for that. But I moved back to Alabama, moved back to Birmingham for about a year, 
looking for a job, just trying to get settled in. My mother, uh, who has since passed away, you know, God rest her soul, but we moved back to help take care of her. And um, Birmingham is just, like I said, it's a beautiful place. Like I said, and sometimes considered the birthplace of the civil rights movement. Um, so there's a, a rich history uh, when it comes out of there. And I can, I can tell you now, there are a lot of people that come from there, a lot of their views are shaped by so much of the history that was there. And I, I can honestly say, so am I. You know, it's, it's a lot of things that when I look at around the world or when I look at around America, when people ask me about it, you know, that template of, of, that template of history that comes from um, Alabama, that comes from being in, li living in Birmingham, it, it comes with me everywhere I go. Uh, so good or bad, I, I just have to tell people it's always with me in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, Birmingham. So um, I, I am going to probably be there in a couple weeks, uh, for, you know, and for maybe about a month, right? Um, mm -hmm. So you say there's rich history. What are some things that you would recommend someone new to Birmingham just to kind of, it was just super ironic that you're on the podcast, right? But what, what would you recommend that um, someone new to Birmingham is going to be in the city for a while? Uh, what would you recommend? Definitely uh, head to downtown Birmingham. Okay. There is literally a piece of everything there, especially since I left. I joined the military in 94 and going, going back in 2016, just the amount of changes, uh, and, and I honestly have to say cultural changes. Um, I remember when I was there, if it wasn't a fast food place or a Chinese food place or soul food place, that was pretty much it. Um, you go there now, there are Vietnamese restaurants, Vietnamese neighborhoods, there are Greek restaurants, wow. and little pockets of areas where, you know, mostly uh, Greek individuals live. And it's, it, you just kind of go back, for me, being the person I am, that's just like, this is great. You know, you get to look around and you get to talk to people. You get to ask ignorant questions. You get to ask intelligent questions, you know, to people who are around and who can give you a, a real insight on the cultures. It's just beautiful. I love it. And they tell you how much has grown since I've been gone. So I have people in Birmingham, oh yeah, we built this over here. This is here. And you're like, I lived here all my life. I never knew this was here. You know, it's, it's great. It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, um, so you, so just talk about real quick before we go to the military because i want to talk about that because you you took off for 20 years obviously your military career right um mm -hmm. but let's talk about being the youngest of 12 i mean that's a pretty unique experience there i know you mentioned there was not a lot of food i know my brother-in-law he comes from eight so that's a lot but it's not 12 but i remember he's talked about you know dinner tables like you're fighting to eat or else the food's gone and, and you don't eat so talk about being the youngest of 12 what was that like it's uh it is, it is literally the gambit of everything you can think of of a family. Uh, give an example. When I was born, my oldest sister was in her early 20s. So, you know, just that age difference. And it was, you know, growing up, I had nieces and nephews that were a year around my age. I have a niece and nephew that's actually older than me. Wow. So it, it, um, it, it was very unique. One of the things that I... I loved and hated about it i had an experience that most people didn't have i got to see siblings actually live their normal lives right in front of my face everything about it you know it wasn't like i was in middle school and they were in high school no i actually got to see you know when i was really really young i would see you know how divorce 
affected people and you know and, and not to not to down my family but that's just the truth a lot of people have to deal with that um i got to see how divorce or um how certain arguments or how differences and age gaps can affect people in different relationships so that gave me a unique perspective growing up that you know once i hit my early 20s and i you know joined the military and things like that when people would talk about oh man that's not how a relationship works this is all you have to do i would constantly sit back and go no no it's not no, it's not. I can tell you it's not. You know, it's not that easy. Yeah. And um, I think that was the most amazing part about it was that I was able to see not only how people grow up, but I could see grown people handle situations growing up. And they were all my siblings. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I have numerous siblings that are literally old enough to be my parents. That, that's so, that's very interesting. Yeah. So when you go to, so it's a different thing when people say, you know, oh, I go to my brother and we laugh and joke. I couldn't do that with all my siblings because some things we just didn't have in common. You know, I'm like, okay, let me tell you, let me tell you about this show that I watched. They're like, I, that is a horrible show. You know, <laughs> you know, they were like, that show sucks. I'm like, no, it's okay. I guess it is, but but then I would go to friends. I go to my nieces and nephews, and those would be the ones I would go to to uh, relate to about certain things growing up. So it was a weird, um, I don't want to say dichotomy, but that's kind of the best way I can put it. It was a very weird dichotomy, but it was also uh, enlightening and edifying as I got older and some of the experiences that I was able to witness in my own house or amongst my siblings, I saw people just starting out doing that. Yeah. And they would hate when I would refer back to them all the time. They were like, well, you know, my sister, you know, they're my brother. Well, people thought we were really close. And I'm like, well, we weren't close because there was a very big age gap. But for the most part, it, that's what it gave me. That's the one thing I loved about it the most. Yeah, it seems like it you had a lot of examples. You know what I mean? Like you saw life before you even had to live it, like right, right close up. The best example. You, you nailed it. I saw life before I even understood it to a degree. So, yeah. You're exactly right. What did that do for you? Like just seeing these examples, because they say um, smart people learn from their mistakes, but wise people learn from the mistakes of others. And it seems like you kind of mm -hmm. learn from the mistakes of and the good things, obviously, of your siblings. How did that affect like your choices in, in your life? Did it help? Did it hurt? Was it kind of indi indifferent? I made a lot of choices that were based on what I saw and not necessarily experienced, if that made sense. So that was a that was a a a double edged sword. There were certain times I could go, no, I'm not going to do that. I saw this happen before, but I really had no insight on why I would decide that, or if it was best or or not best for me. I just saw the effects that it had on others, and I just go, nope, that's not for me. I'm not going to do that. And I missed out on some. I'm, I'm I'm not ashamed to admit I missed out on a lot of great opportunities from that, but. I had more situations where when I was able to, like after the event ended or after the situation was resolved and I knew what to do, I had this idea of, yeah, this could have gone really bad if I had not already had this mindset or at least had this experience there. So that was one of the things, you know, so like I said, it's a double-edged sword, but it was, I, I'm, I'm thankful for it either way if that if that makes sense. I was thankful for it either way. Yeah. Just to be able to say, you know, you, and then hindsight is always 2020 to be able to look back and go, probably shouldn't have passed on that opportunity, or I probably could have handled this differently. 
but I'm thankful that above, I don't want to throw up outside of how others would have done it. I had some idea of what I was getting into from the beginning. Yeah. So basically, that, I'll, I'll never turn that away. I love that. Yes. Basically you had a lot of wisdom, but you still were able to make your own choices. Yes. Which is good. And th- th- that was, um, and you know, just kind of leading off into the military, that was one of the advantages I had, um, being able to, when people, because I remember I had, I have two other brothers in the military, well, actually three other brothers in the military, um, and hearing, of course, like I said, just watching my family, just watching things that they did, uh, there were certain things I was able to comprehend before I got there, you know, you go through uh, basic training or as most commonly known boot camp. When you get there and you're like, you're nothing, you're a maggot. Do you know this? I'm like, yeah, I got you. I got you. My brother told me about this. So I'm cool. I'm good. And so that, that, that sometimes it worked to my disadvantage because it, it seemed like I just didn't care. I was like, yeah, 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 I know about this. You're going you're gonna to yell at me. I'm a piece of crap. I got you. It, it, so people were like, who do you think you are? I'm the youngest of 12, man. Come on now. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of aided in that. So sometimes it worked to my disadvantage, but other times it worked to my advantage. Yeah. So um, that was one of the things that, that, that happened as far as the, the military is concerned. Yeah. It gave me um, an unfair advantage that I didn't quite know how to utilize at the time, yeah. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically you had people that had already walked the path and right. kind of told you about it so you're like i already know what to expect right but then in a, in a way it kind of didn't allow allow it to mold you i guess as much as it's supposed to is that is that kind of the, the way well let me say it like this i allowed it to mold me with a little a level of arrogance that i did not deserve <laughs> i didn't did deserve and i'm not ashamed to admit it you know it left me with a level of just, you know, that self-assured that it's like, you have not done anything to be able to tell people you're good, you know? So it, uh, it did make most of my career a little trying, but, um, but at the same time, it humbled me too, because when you think, you know, so much, all it takes is one or two people to see through your BS and chop you down. But the beauty is in the military, they can't just chop you down. You're an asset. So they chop you down like, okay, let me build you up the right way. And that was the beauty of it. Um, I had plenty of mentors, some I did not want, <laughs> but I had plenty of mentors who had no problem, you know, hey, hey, hey come here. I, I had some guys, you know, it's an older term, hey, young blood, come here, come here. And w- when they did that, it's like, okay, I think you, you, I know you're a smart guy. I think you know what you're talking about, but you don't know what you're talking about. You know what you're talking of, not what you're talking about. And they would say that. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know the words and I can recognize the words, but I didn't understand the premise or the meaning of the words I was saying. You know, when, so when, and like I said before, when they would say, okay, well, you're a maggot, you're not, you're, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what they're doing is they're getting people to understand, look, you're on the same level as everybody else. You're a nobody right now. You're wearing the same uniform. You're eating the same food. You're eating at the same time. You're eating, you're sleeping in the same vicinity. You're no better than anybody else. 
I didn't grasp that at first. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're going to tell me that. I don't, I don't really care. And I was going about my business. And there's a level of arrogance. Like I said, it's undeserved. It got, you know, I walked around with this arrogance. Didn't need it. And just took somebody to go, hold up. Chop me down a little bit, build me back up. So there was a level of arrogance that I did get at one point. Um, more of assertiveness that when I would talk to younger troops, when I became the one in charge, when I would talk to younger troops, and when they did the whole, yeah, 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 I was like, oh, you're like me. You're the idiot. Okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, and it, it, that's why I said it was very humbling, especially when you got to, when you had to be the one uh, training others. It was very humbling. Yeah. So um, the military, you chose military. Was it because you had older brothers that had done it? Uh, are you guys kind of a military family? Or was there another reason why you chose the military? All of it. But the number one reason, I didn't want to be a burden to my mother. I can honestly say that. Youngest of 12, I've, I've seen all my other brothers and sisters literally go off and do their own thing and become uh, successful, become contributing members of society. It just, all the, I had all of these great people in my life, you know, um, strong Black men, strong Black women. We grew up in the church. And when it came down to me, I was like, I am going to be a burden. I'm going to be a waste of skin. And so when I didn't understand, when I didn't know what I wanted to do, I just thought about my brothers who, when they joined the military, um, they talked about uh, the, the biggest thing, accountability and respect. I was like, I want to be accountable for what I do. You know, I want to be, um, that was the biggest thing. I want to be accountable for what I do and then earn that respect, you know, that I wanted from so many different people, from my brothers and sisters who, you know, they were so much older than me. What I was looking for, they weren't going to give me and they couldn't. They saw me as their child or a child, not as their brother, not as their, you know, younger brother. I was looked at as their little brother. I didn't want to be that burden. I don't want to be that small person. I wanted to carve my place out in the world. And when I saw the military, I was like, I can do all of this and be a burden to nobody. You know, no one has to look at me and go, you know, what is Mario doing again? I didn't have to do that. And I, that was, and, and I can honestly say probably the greatest decision I ever made in my life. Yeah. Um, it, that was the one, you know, I got, I learned accountability. I learned respect for others and respect for myself, respect for this beautiful country. So I had nothing to complain about. Yeah, it kind of seems like the military, like you said, since everybody's kind of equal, it gave the baby of 12 the equal playing field with everybody else, but also kind of an advantage, too, because you kind of knew a little bit more than someone who was completely green to the military and didn't have no family or no mentors about what, it, what to expect. Right. And um, my worldview, one thing I, I, I loved about it, it shaped my worldview to a point to where um yeah it'll never be the same uh i remember and i don't know if you guys are familiar with this term but when i was when i told people in the neighborhood that i was going to join the military like oh you're going to join that white man's army that was always the term white man's army white man's army um and i know a lot of listeners may hate this you know to some degree it's true because it's predominantly white that that's just you know the, the world we live in the military is predominantly white but I learned that even among people who even they may look different than you, 
their differences even among that. You know, I I I rarely knew of people within the white race that were in different political that had different political ideas amongst themselves. I rarely saw that. But when I joined the military, it was everywhere. People who believe this and believe that and believe something totally different. Yet I never had to question their respect for who I was or what I was doing. Yeah, because you guys are a team, you know, right? Like if so, if you don't, it's life and death if you don't respect each other, right? That is, that's exactly what I would tell people. I told people all the time. I said, I don't care how many core values you can spread out. There's one value that if you lose this, we're done. This whole military collapses. They were like, what's that, Sergeant Ruffin? I said, respect. If you don't respect yourself, what you're doing, and the person you're working with, we're done. We might as well just all pack up and go back home. I said, we're done. And they would just kind of look for a second. I said, when you're out there in 130 degree weather, that's not an exaggeration. We've done it. 130 degrees, no one's come by to check on us with the water because they're checking on so many different other people. When all of that happens, if you don't respect the fact that I have to get this done, I'm held accountable for what I do. This is, you know, they're looking for me to take care of this. I have to do my part. I have to respect my part in this vast, you know, worldwide military that's understood to be the greatest in the world. Yeah, I probably need to fix this aircraft. And, th and that's where it came from. That guy in finance, you know, people say, oh, you don't do anything. You're not a maintainer. Don't get paid. Let's see how <laughs> important your job is you know, or the guy that works at the dining facility where all of the younger airmen would eat. You mess up that food, you're going to get people sick. You have to respect and have an understanding of, of your part in that great machine. So that was one of the things that I think, if you don't have respect, you don't, you're done. You're, the, all of this falls apart. Yeah. And the military is a brotherhood, right? So in the end, like, obviously a lot of people have different beliefs, but if it's not a brotherhood, like if there's no respect, then I mean, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. No, it's not. There, there's, there's, you just put it simply that way. You know, it's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood. It's a, it's a mentoring program. It's everything. No, no. When it, when you ask the question, "Am I my brother's keeper?" in the military, we say, "Hell yeah, I am," and I have to be. Because if I don't keep my brother, my brother won't keep me. If I don't keep my sister, my sister won't keep me. You know, do I look after them? Yes. And they'll look after me. And that's where that respect comes in. You have to respect your part in that whole thing. You have to respect their part in it. I have military people, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I cannot stand them. I do not want to be around them. I have no desire to. But if I hear they're in town and they need something, I have to jump up. You know, I don't know if you remember the old cartoon, Mighty Mouse. He would just yell out, here I come to save the day. That's what I felt like. I, I And I've, I've had to do that. You know, I've been at a, I've been somewhere and, you know, hear from another military member that another military member is somewhere near and needs help. I, my first question is, well, where are they? It could be something I do not like. And I, I've done it before more than once. Someone I don't want to be around. I don't want to have a conversation with. But it's that instinct that we're all on the level playing field. And if that brother or that sister stuck somewhere and they can, and they have nowhere to go, and you sit on your behind, knowing 
you served with them, maybe not beside them, but you were both military. Yeah, that's it's not gonna work. <laughs> it's just not gonna work. So that so that that sense of camaraderie stays with you. What branch of a uh, military were you a part of? And do you think that the brotherhood reaches across every branch? Or because I know sometimes like I've had a friend that was a marine and he would you know say ah we're better than you know the army blah blah blah. Do you think the brotherhood that respect is within every branch? Yes. Uh, I, I have experienced it. I have done it myself. I have worked with Marines, Navy, and Army. Um, not so much Coast Guard, but I've worked with the other those three branches on more than just a uh, interpersonal, you know, I'll help you out guy level. I've, you know, helped out whole battalions, um, whole squads. And so you don't, we talk a lot of trash. There's a meme that's out there and it's a Goodfellas meme. And it said, it's, it shows the top where they're all laughing and they said service members talking about each other. And they're all laughing and joking and, you know, you're together. And at the bottom it says, when civilians talk about us and they're all serious looking at the camera like, hey, it really is like that. You, you will hear talk about grunts and jarheads. You know, those are Army and Marines. You, they'll talk trash about each other, especially the Navy and Marines talk mad trash about each other we're fly boys or we're the chair force you know because they say we don't do anything but let someone else step in hey when i was over at such and such they were here to do this and blah, blah. you're like oh my god god you were just talking trash about it well brothers and sisters i grew up in a family of 12 we can all talk about each other let somebody else from the outside talk trash and it's it's going to be held to pay yeah you said you're a part of the air force Mm -hmm. What did you do with the Air Force? I was an electronic warfare technician. Wow. Basically, the, the, the simplest way I can put it, if you've ever seen Top Gun and they're flying and you hear them say, oh, I've been locked on. I have a bogey in this direction, blah, blah, blah. And they shoot out what they call countermeasures. You'll see a flare. They should use the way they talk about to divert the missile. That was my job. Wow. Okay. So you were a Top Gun back when Top Gun was going on. Yeah. <laughs> so... Did that yeah, influence it, you to join the Air Force, the movie? When I, I'm going to tell you, I, it did not. But once I joined and I saw what I was doing and how it contributed to the pilots, it was one of those like, this is pretty cool. And so that, that, that shaped how I respected what I did. I was like, wow, there are pilots that would not be coming home if I don't do my job. Right. And that's just, that's just the truth of it. I don't, I don't mean to over glorify it. But I just like, so whenever I went out there and they were like, hey, you know, they're not getting signals in this area. They're not reading this. They're not reading that. They're not getting this on their scope. I was like, this guy's going to die. <laughs> so I, that was, and you have to think of that, you know. So when I have the airmen, you know, that's what you call the younger guys that, that's actually in their rank. Airmen first class, airmen basic, yeah, they're the ones learning. But when you're trying to teach them something and they had the attitude like I did, you know, yeah, 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 nobody, you're like, get over here and sit down. <laughs> Let me show you what's going on. These guys put their lives in our hands. I don't want to hear, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, go ahead. So, I have a question. So, you, you started in 94. That was around Desert Storm. Was Desert Storm still going on or had it just ended around then? Yes. I actually got uh, two tours oh, so over there. Two tours of Desert Storm. Wow. <laughs> Is that mm -hmm. where you're talking about the 130 degree heat? Well, yeah, it is. And we're not, I remember, and people think I'm joking. Um, 
I, I was working on one of the aircraft. I was working on an A-10 at the time. It's an attack aircraft. Um, if you've ever seen G.I. Joe, the original ones, that the model of their Cobra aircraft was modeled after the A-10. But uh, I'm up there and I'm working and it's about 11.30 at night around that time. And I'm sweating because it, like, it's still hot. I mean, well, I shouldn't say hot. It's, it's colder, but it still has like a humidity to it. So I'm out there working. I'm like, I'm cold and I'm sweating. This sucks. <laughs> and the guy walked up. He was like, hey, man, happy new year. Looked at my watch. That's how I spent my new year. I was working <laughs> on an aircraft. He was like, happy new year, brother. And he walked off. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> I finished up the aircraft, went inside. They had some ginger ale, you know, sitting there ready for it. So I got inside about 1, 1 15, something like that. And they were like, hey, man, you know, grab some. Happy New Year. And gave me a hug and everything. None of these guys that I like, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, Happy New Year. And they gave me a hug. And we just sat around and BSed until the sun came up. Well, we were still at work, but we had gotten everything done. And we just talked about our families. We talked about who we miss. Um, at the time, I didn't have kids. And we talked about uh, everything. You know, just a bunch of guys from all these different backgrounds. Some we didn't like, some we loved. And we just spoke for like four hours and laughed and joked and drank ginger ale. <laughs> <laughs> Over, I think that trip, I was in Kuwait. Wow. I was actually in Kuwait, yeah. I mean, and, it, uh, it sounds like not the funnest. You Like someone would think a great New Year, but it sounds like it pretty ended up pretty, being a pretty memorable New Year for you. It was. It was. And like that's why I tell people that type of camaraderie when you hear a fellow service member needs something, it's hard to kind of go, nah, yeah, whatever. Because you're thinking, man, we sat down, you know, we spent New Year's in a desert together. You know, we did this, we did, you know, how can you turn your back on somebody you've done all that with or that you know has been through that? Exactly. Uh, so because, I have a question. You know those big, giant, like, spider-like things that they say they attach to the bottom of camels? Camel you, fighter. Yeah. yeah. Have you, did you see those when you were out there? Yes. I got chased by one. What? Tell us about that. I got, this is probably the worst. This is going to make me sound like such a punk, but it's the truth. <laughs> I was, this is my first deployment, and I was walking back to my, my they call them expandables. It's, it's like a tent, but it looks more like an accordion. They pull it apart, and they put the beams up top and on bottom from the state expanded, and that's what you lived in. Yeah, that was it. Um just enough for four people and a couch. That was it. Um, now it sounds so depressing, but we were like, whew, good, not a tent. So, you know, we were happy back then. Um, I was walking back to my, to my expandable, and they had rocks on the ground because rocks actually help keep roaches and, and ants and things like that from building uh, living areas to where they don't get in the tents and they don't get in the expandables. So it was rocks all over the place. And so when you hear it, it's almost like you're walking on crushed ice the whole time. Most annoying sound in the world. But they didn't sound right. So I turned and it was probably about this big. Mm -mm. Well, they give you, they tell us, they give us an abundance of information we get there about these things. Because even though they're not poisonous, if they get on you, they'll inject a um, a chemical that numbs the part of your body. And then they can just eat away and you won't feel it. 
Well, they do that. That's how they do the, to camels. That's to camels. some real life alien shit right there. Oh my god, that's <laughs> terrifying. The story gets better. So when I saw it, I kicked rocks at it. Okay, that was stupid. When I kicked rocks at it, the front legs came up. Oh no. What they tell you is that when the front legs came up, they're about to jump. They have a three foot vertical in any direction. Wow, that's more than most humans. So when when the legs came up, I screamed. I was like, ah! and I broke out running. I was like, "Who? Okay, this is nothing." I turned around; it was chasing me. They move very fast, and when I tell you, I turned. It was probably a good two feet from me. Yeah, I freaked. So I'm, I, I literally ran to the point to where my heels were kicking my behind. That's not an exaggeration. That's adrenaline, right? Yeah. And when I got in the expandable, I jumped on my bed and one of my roommates, I, to this day, I don't know his name. I never knew his name. He was just, we were all just thrown together. He was like, you okay, dude? I was like, Camel Spider was chasing me. He was like, the same thing happened to me yesterday. Holy shit. So, and I was like, he was like, you're huge, bro. I'm going to go back to my bed. He didn't want to go out the door in case it was there. So, yes, they are huge. Um, I I had a uh, one story. And uh, I kind of hate telling this story. We had a guy who, who was afraid of spiders and didn't tell anyone. Oh, no. And he stepped on a nest and they crawled up his back. Of camel spiders? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. He froze. He was petrified. They had to send him home. Oh. He was, he, I remember one of the guys, the guy who was telling me the story, because I wasn't there for it, was telling me the story. He said, when I tell you that guy froze, he said, you'd have thought he looked into the eyes of Medusa. He went, ah, and stopped. He was that terrified. He just froze. And they had the, you know, so the guy was knocking the spiders off of him, and they, he was still like this, and the guy was knocking the spiders off of him and getting them into the, you know, calling some of um, the med techs and getting out there. Yeah, he was, they sent him home like a day later. Wow, that guy's traumatized. He, he was, and we were all just like, he sat on a nest? And they're like, yeah. And he didn't feel it, he did like this. The guy was, he was like, man, why is he twitching? And when he turned, he saw the legs come over the guy's shoulder. He was like, oh, oh. hell no. He went to go tell him the guy went, oh. he said, that was it. Of course, he was the like, guy that's guy afraid of spiders. You know, he was laughing off the spiders. He said, the guy was like, ah. yeah, it was it. Oh, man, that is crazy. Wow. So they are real and they are real scary and yes. real nasty. Because they, well, they're not exactly spiders. That's the thing about it. They're actually part of the scorpion family. Mm. Gotcha. Worse. So, but they're not venomous. You know, if they bite you, that part of your body is going to go numb. It's going to swell up, you know, because you were bitten. But uh, they're not poisonous. Uh, well, not not the, the species that we encountered. I've heard there are some poisonous ones. I never researched it, so I don't know. There's but the ones we poisonous when ones I, of those. I've heard it, but I've never seen them, mm. and I've never researched it. So, but I can tell you some of the um, some of the Saudis actually. When I was in Saudi Arabia, they're there too. They showed us pictures of camels. Some of the guys who were who were Saudis in there, and they showing us pictures. I'm like, is that camel have a dent in its leg? He's like, yeah. 
can't race anymore. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, are you serious? One, the whole stomach fell out. Oh. This camel's stomach, like they, they're, it basically was disemboweled. Yeah. From how they, it was eaten and it just, anyway, I know it's disgusting, but <laughs> that's one of the things. It was, yeah. So when you, and I said all that to say this, when you live experiences like that with people, it is hard not to come away with a level of camaraderie. Hell yeah. You know, the looks on your guys' faces now, I don't get the looks from them. They're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, holy crap. And they're like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, know you, got, you have ladies that were like, yeah, I had one in the shower with me. We were like, oh, good night, huh? And we're joking about it. We tell anybody else, they're like, I'd have freaked out. She's like, no. <laughs> when you go fall in the bush, your face in the shower. So what you do is you grab something, knock it out. You're like, and you get back to it. Yeah. We've only got a five minute shower, guys. <laughs> Don't scream too hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is crazy, man. Well, that's, that's some, some good stories. But they there's some um, there's some word for it or some term where you share a traumatic experience with somebody. There's a bond that happens and you survive it, basically. There's a special bond that happens. I forgot what yeah, it's um, They used to teach it to us too. I completely forgot it. But yeah, you 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 end up having it's relationships that you that are um that come out of traumatic situations. And some people say they don't last. I've never seen that, in all honesty. And I, and I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I have seen People who got married after a traumatic situation, I've seen people who just end up as uh, best friends. And even if they don't talk all the time or certain things they don't talk about, there is a bond there. It's always there. Now, I, I personally have not been anything through anything that I feel is that traumatic. That's just me. But I've seen it. I have, um, I've seen what it will do to a person. I've seen I've seen people get divorced not because they don't love their family, but they don't think they're worthy of their family because of the traumatic um, experience they went through. Right. So it to say that you know it'll that it doesn't build bonds. Yeah, it does. There are certain connections that once it's made, it's never going to break. Right. And uh, this is something that uh, I guess only those that were in the military and were there can share. So it's like a special thing that only you guys can share with each other. It's, it's not so much that only we can share, but only we can understand. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. That, um, and I, I don't mean to sound that to be just to play on semantics, but I, I say that in the sense of I want people to talk to more military and get the story at that person's discretion you know don't go to him you know like hey you got to tell us your story it's like, he doesn't want you know he or she may not want to discuss that time. but there are certain experiences that even though we're sharing it people may not understand it they're just sitting there and they're going you know oh yeah i, I get that i get pretty much how i did you know yeah, yeah yeah i get it no you've heard it before you don't get it you sit back and listen listen to the this these you know some you know some of my brothers and sisters in arms they're going through things that they left decades ago, but it's still with them. So um, when you ask for them to tell their story, give them time, give them a second. You know, not everything is like, you know, hey, I know I've spoken to guys who were in Vietnam and when they're ready to tell their story, they still do that thousand yard stare. 
I have sat in a room with guys who I had one guy from um he knew one of the first uh chief master sergeants of the Air Force. It's the highest rank you can ever achieve as an enlisted person in the Air Force. And he knew the first guy who achieved it. And he was telling me about his experience in Vietnam and what he went through and how he things he had to do that uh, let's say I, I think he'd rather have never lived, but he did. And he was sitting back and he was like, yeah. And when he got there, we were just like, oh, he's not with us right now. This man, he is back where he does not want to be, but he's telling us, he's telling us this story. And he just got to a point where we were like, it never leaves you. It never leaves you. And the fact that he was able to talk about it, I remember all of us, it was about five of us he was talking to. We were quiet. We were just, you could have heard a gnat fart, as they would say. <laughs> and when he, when he kind of snapped out, he was like, yep, yeah, but I, you know, I got a lot of great memories and met a lot of great people. And we were like, ooh, you can say that after that? Yeah, but it, that's why I say uh, we can share it, but when you're talking to people that understand it, it's a totally different story. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I have a question. Um, so you were in Desert Storm. Were you also in in the 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 next war with with Iraq and Afghanistan and all that? Because you did serve until 2016. You're only five years out of the military. Yeah, I was. I was. I was. I went in support of that as well. Wow. Um, not as for me, not as scary as the first one. Hmm. Uh, you know, the first one we dealt with Saddam. That was, you know, I remember having to be held over. Um, well, I've been held over a few times, actually. But I remember having to be held over because Intel, well, I'll just say that, pointed to him doing some nefarious things, you know. Um, and they were like, yeah, instead of transitioning uh you know, because your weakest point is, you know, during the transition period, they were like, so instead of transitioning, we're going to stay here. We're like, what? They're like, yeah, we're not going to transition. We're going to stay here. We're going to handle business. And then when it's safe, we'll transition out. So I'm going to miss Thanksgiving again. Yes, you are. Mm. And maybe Christmas. Wow. And maybe and maybe Valentine's. I was like, this is not going well, man. <laughs> so, yeah. and and. Honestly, you had people that missed the birth of their children, missed their anniversary, missed the death of their parents, missed the death of their grandparents, things like that. You know, they're, they'll send you home for like the death of your grandparents, but then it's like, do I, am I going to go home and be able to be with, you know, my, my family or should I be here? And people made a hard decision to stay because they were like, if I stay here, will my mind be here? Yep, then let me stay. If I can't be of use to my, my brothers and sisters here, then I'll go home. But if I can, I'm going to stay. And a lot of men and women made a, the hardest decision I would ever think of to stay and serve. Mm -hmm. While we were over there, you know, some of the guys who were like, yeah, man, and they, they're walking around chipper and happy and laughing. And, you know, you tap on the shoulder. You good, man? You good? And either they're going to go, yeah, or you're going to hear, <laughs> no. And you, and like I said, you sit there and you listen. You sit back, you, 
grab some uh, ginger ale with them or grab some tea or whatever because we can't drink over there. You can't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. But at the time, and uh, you listen and you understand because now you're thinking, yeah, I'm missing this, I'm missing that, blah, blah, blah. They're missing a funeral. You just sit up and listen. So yeah, it, it, it definitely sticks with you in, in ways like that, yeah. And so um, you served in the whole, I don't even know what this last war, it was basically after 9-11 and then, you know, Afghanistan and, and the, the Taliban. Well, was, well, we I, measured by campaign. Okay. So it was uh, Ap- Operation Enduring Freedom, um, Operation Northern Defense. So, it was, But that was all in the same area. We just had different campaigns going on in that area. So which campaign you know, did you, were you a part of during the second war? I was Operation Enduring Freedom okay. for the most part. Okay. And so my question to you is, because obviously um, we just pulled out basically of Afghanistan, which is very controversial, right? And... Um, there, there's there's opinions on both ends and i heard a, a really good opinion as far as from uh, a, a guy named patrick bed david who has his own podcast as well he's from uh, iran he's a him and his family are refugees from iran and his point of view was like once you go there you can never leave because do you close a jail down like do you ever close a prison down you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then there's the other view where obviously you know that wasn't our and it was never our, our issue in, in, the, in the beginning. It's like, let them be, let them do their thing. As someone who is former military, as someone who has served, as someone who's been there and even fought camel spiders and all kinds of other stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, what's your kind of just, I guess, view on take on us pulling out of Afghanistan and now the Taliban kind of taking over real quick? And, you know, what, what, what's your point of view on, on the whole situation that went down over there? Um, it's like, amputating a leg without anesthetic okay uh an infected leg always gonna hurt regardless but there's certain things that need to be done now were there better ways to do it not gonna die yeah that that that's undeniable and that's the best example i can give is amputating an infected leg without anesthetic it had to be done were there better ways to do it did we wish we did it differently yes did it have to be done yeah yeah it did um so and and i don't mean to say that as a cop-out to not giving a real answer but when you i'll give you i'll give you a better example when i was in kuwait i remember talking to the kuwaiti air force guys and they would whenever the a-10 flew overhead they would laugh and point up and i asked him i said well why are you pointing to that he said and he explained to me in, in the best way he could, he was like, when the A-10 would fly over when Iraq invaded them, the A-10 would destroy their tanks and their bunkers and all of that. And the Iraqi Air Force guy, the Iraqi guys would jump to the ground. So whenever they, because the A-10 is a very quiet aircraft. So as it flew over, when they saw that shadow going across the ground, they scattered. So if you ask the Iraq, if you ask the Kuwaiti people, well, should we leave? They're going to say hell no. They're going to say we should have been there. We should have stayed there. If you ask some of the Iraq, if you ask some of the um, Iraqi people, they're going to say no because I lost so many family members during the bomb. 
so I can't be the one to say, you know, I, I can't look at it just from the American point of view of like, oh, yeah, it was all perfect. It was great. You know, we did this or, oh, yeah, we, we should have never have been there. What I will say is that there are whole swaths of people that were happy we were there and those that weren't happy. But as far as us as the military, there could have been a better way we left. Yeah, I like that answer. I like the analogy a lot. It had to happen. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, from my point of view, when the war started, I didn't even wonder i didn't i was like why why is this even happening like it's it's not even our war to begin with right but it's kind of like you know america's famous for always getting involved in other places a lot of times when there's a financial interest involved right because there's other parts of the world that we could get involved in to help people and we don't right but that's not the the topic of the subject but i think it's kind of like um yeah, I think your analogy was best. I mean, we stuck our leg in, it got infected, and you have to amputate it or the rest of the body is going to end up probably yeah. getting infected and, and, and die, right? And it's going to get worse. And I don't mean to say that in the sense of it was that region's fault. Um, because I, 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 don't, I don't have the knowledge to say definitively what the problem was. Right. Um, you know, we could talk about weapons of mass destruction. We talk about never being there. We, the, all of those things play play a huge factor. But um, when it comes to just getting out, it was an it it, it was gangrene and it was spreading. Mm-hmm. And there's I don't know what we could do. Yeah, I don't know what we could have done. I think I understand what you're saying, and the situation we're in now is like, okay, we went in, even though we shouldn't have, or maybe we should have. Who cares? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Where it is now, it had it had to be done. You know what I mean? And and it, it yeah, yeah, okay. Like I said, and I'll I'll never disagree with the fact that it could have been done differently. Of course, yes. Um, you had Afghan individuals who were, you know, holding on to planes. They did that for a reason. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are like, oh my God, they're crazy. No, you. And that's where you know, growing up in the South and hearing about certain things that people did their civil rights to get away. Right. We had that opportunity. They didn't. So when you just look, oh, they're crazy, uh, trying to jump onto a plane. No, they weren't. They were desperate. Right. A lady who will give her baby to a service member. I, I don't know if you have children, but w- when you get to a point to where you're like, I will give my children away so they cannot deal with the mess that I know for a fact I'm going to have to deal with. You know, so that's why I say it. It could it have been done differently? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how much longer do you wait while it affects? You know, and it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you have a whole country overrun by a terrorist organization. It was spreading. So it is nothing. It, it, at some point, you had to make a decision on, do we stick around here or do we fix another mess that we've made? Right. You, you know. And isn't the big, um, the biggest, uh, I don't know the word, uh, I have the word, but the reason they hate us the most is because we are in their land, I think. that That's kind of like the thing. Like, we're occupying what 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 they feel is we shouldn't be there. Does that, does that make that's sense? Wait, let me say this. That's a huge misconception. Oh, is it? Okay. Me, yeah. N- no. 
the hate doesn't comes from doesn't come from occupation. It comes from behavior. Okay. Um, certain policies that they put in place once we were there, because us as the military members, we only doing we're only doing what we're told. Hundred um, percent. I want to. I want to make sure we 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 knock on that because you guys are just the ones doing your job, right? It's the leadership we, that sends you guys. Yeah. Took our oath, and we said, "This is how long. You know, this is what we're going to do: defend our enemies, foreign and domestic, blah blah blah." We have said that. And thank I thank know, you for your service, by the way, and all the military members out there. Thank you so much. I know how many. Um four nationals I've come in contact with. No animosity, no anger. But they'll tell us, you know, but my cousin up the street whose house was raided and blah, blah, blah. Now he's pissed. Mm. He's not coming at me, you know, oh, you dirty American. No. But he is thinking about his family members, his friends, his, you know, people he truly respected, you know, uh, pillars of his neighborhood who were mistreated or who had something um, unfair happen to them. And he's telling me in hopes that, look, y'all supposed to be here helping us, and this is how we feel. This is what's going on. So I can tell you from, it isn't merely being there. It's how we conduct ourselves while we're there. Yeah, and then we're talking about terrorists, too. These are like extreme people of any of any you know uh, culture right like we have extremists here and you talked about the yeah. civil rights movements right like the racism and all that was not like a normal person that was an extreme person right um that's abusing some type of ideology right uh or, or they've been taught for years and years and generations right uh ignorance or whatever you want to call it uh but when we talk about the taliban and stuff that's like an extreme version hiding behind i guess the muslim religion and the quran right or they're just operating like old testament versus new testament right it's like yeah, yeah haven't 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 you know they're operating in very old school type ways and they're using it to their advantage where women are basically worthless and you know the men are dominant and you have to abide by these certain rules well yes and no because understand there are women that wear their hijab, they wear their burqa, they wear all of that. They want to. Mm -hmm. Some, some. I'm, I'm not trying to sell this, you know, image. Here. Everybody's happy, but they, some of them, that shows their devotion and their commitment to Allah or their God. I'm not gonna knock that because I just like I wouldn't walk up to a nun and say, "Why are you wearing that?" You know, I wouldn't walk up to a priest and be like, "Bro, that's a dress." You know, you look like <laughs> who's actually gonna kick? You know, so. To to look at it and just think, you know, because they're they're wearing this, I know women here. They've come to America, they've left Afghanistan, they've left Saudi Arabia, wherever. A lot of that they still wear. That's their now it's their personal choice. I respect that regardless. Where I have the issue is that we I'm not trying to go on much of a soapbox, but where I have an issue is that uh, there's an old uh, Goody Mob song where Big Gibbs says, it's like walking in my house and not walking your feet on the rug. That's, I feel like regardless who's a terrorist or regardless what country we go into, don't walk into the house and not wipe your feet on the rug. 
Gotcha. That's, you know, what you do is what you're held accountable for. That's an accountability piece and respect. So worry about what you could have done differently first, because those are the only actions you control. Those are the only actions you control. And so when we talk about, well, this is infested with terrorists. Yeah, but they're still not your house. The way you walk in there, the way you the, the way you behave, the way you're, you know, the, the policies that you uh, implement that shape how we conduct ourselves, that should be the most important thing. That's me, because we are held accountable for what we do, not for what others do. Right. So my last question, and then we could switch gears, is do you think uh, us as a nation is safer less safe or kind of neutral with the current situation that's going on now in Afghanistan that we're gone? I think it's worse because we're almost back where we started. Okay. I don't, I don't see the situation. Okay. The Taliban is where they were when we overran them. Yeah. Um, the government is, you know, the president left. <laughs> he was like, he was like <laughs> yeah, he bounced. All right, no, I'm good. I did all I could. <laughs> I'm good. You know, what's different than when we first were like, we're going to go over there and, you know, take down the Taliban. Yeah. Then we, you know, I think we're just, we, we basically did 20 years of, now we're back where we started. Yeah. And my, 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 my biggest thing about what happened and how it went down is that you have a whole entire generation of people that did not know what's happening now. Like an entire mm-hmm. democratic 20 years of Afghanistan or somewhat democratic right and now mm-hmm. it's it's like it would be like going back to the civil rights movement of the 60s like all the progress that we made for all these 40 years would just be wiped out and now we're back to where we were back in birmingham i've been in afghanistan with that guy who was telling me hey watch your act right i'm like hey can you, can you move over malik i need to lay down <laughs> <laughs> it, I, it would be horrible but yeah that's the best example i can give yeah well, uh, let's just hope that everything works out for the best, right? And, uh, you know, we do appreciate you, your service. And I know it seems like you've had some pretty interesting experiences that have molded you, uh, you know, uh, in the military. <laughs> yes. Any other places that you traveled besides uh, the Middle East? Or was it mainly the Middle East? Because that's the time that was happening when you were in the military. Oh, wow. Uh, Greece, Japan, Canada, England, Korea. Italy, I think I said Italy, Italy, uh, that's it. That's one of the yeah. beauties though, of being in the military. You do get to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then of course, Kuwait, Saudi, Qatar. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've been a little bit everywhere. What was your favorite, um, destination or your favorite country that you visited being in the military? Uh, Japan by far. Really? Japan was the, we were in, um, I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan, which is, I call it the South of the, of, of Japan because it, they're so hospitable. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to cooking food and it just, just the way they put their all into it, when they're crossing the street, everybody's just polite and everybody talks to each other. I was just like, what? It's amazing, you know. So Japan, Okinawa, Japan, by far, hands down. Uh, I'd moved there. It was great. Wow, that's it was that's great. big to say you'd move there. Wow. Yeah, it, it it was great. It really was. It was a great experience. Great people. 
um yeah great yeah it's i've never been to japan yet i want to go i just heard it's beautiful i heard it's exactly like how you said and so Mm -hmm. southern hospitality that's something i hear about all the time i've been to texas but since i am going to birmingham or i might be uh, potentially a good chance is is that what i have to expect is that good old southern hospitality for the most part yeah Uh, you're gonna get called sweetie baby hun uh sugar Punkin, <laughs> not pumpkin, punkin. Oh, punkin. You're going to get caught with all of those things, and it's going to be about people that don't even know you. Punkin, can you grab that phone? Yeah. And you kind of want to just my way. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you can't help but not, right? You really can't. Um, it's just a lot of phrases and terms you're going to hear that I can honestly say, and people say, well, Southern and country are the same thing. No, they're not. Anybody can be country. Very few people gonna be southern, and like it's 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 a it's a beautiful southern hospitality. This is the best way I can put it. It's not just about being nice; it's about trying to stay nice as well. Because you'll hear some southern guys tell you, "You you might want to go on now. You might want to go on about your business." That's southern hospitality. That's their way of saying you're about to get your ass. Yeah, that's like a warning, right? (laughs) Yeah. And when you hear that, when you hear, go on now, go on, go on now. Oh, no, that's part of Southern hospitality. You got to get slapped. <laughs> it's not going to be good. Or if you hear somebody say, all right, now, I don't think you need to do it. I don't think you need to do that. That's part of Southern. They're trying to be hospitable to this is about to go bad for you. Right. If you hear a woman say, bless his heart. That's just like saying this idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you hear, that's the way you hear, because you can also hear, "Oh, bless your heart." It's like that was horrible, <laughs> but they don't want to say it to make it work. So they're like, "Oh, bless your heart," <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But if you hear, "Bless his heart," yeah, that idiot. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of it's you. You explained it perfectly. It's a polite way of saying something mm-hmm. that's not polite. But a lot of people mistake it as if like the sub is just so nice. <laughs> um, we're we're polite, not nice. There's a difference. We're considerate. Yeah. So if you uh, leave that alone, leave that alone. Yeah, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And that's my, funny. You, my, you mentioned they give you a warning right before they're about to kick your ass <laughs> or something could happen. You get a you warning. Know, rate, you know, hey, hey, uh, you might you might want to stop that. You might want to let that go. So I have a question because um, when you were singing earlier, I heard like a nice little tone to the voice. Like, uh, mm-hmm. do you have a little bit of a talent in the singing department? I grew up in the church. Okay. Uh, I sang everything. So going through puberty and going through everything, I was still forced to sing. So I'd be like, hey, <laughs> like that's I, the worst when you're going through puberty and they force you to yeah. talk or but sing. I grew up in a in a a musical family okay so we all had some type of where they played the piano or uh piano or singing it was one of the two or drums what was yours mom was just singing i sucked i was in a band at school <laughs> so i played saxophone there but when it came to being at home i was like no nah, i just like to sing so i had all these r&b artists from you know the early 90s and the late 80s that like i i, I I would have, you could have amputated my gangrene leg <laughs> without anesthetic to get to sing like them. Um, 
Gerald Levert, Aaron Hall, Teddy Pendergrass, you know, Luther Vandross, yeah. all of these amazing voices. Yeah, I grew up in the nineties, so for me it was Luther Vandross, uh Keith Sweat, Jodeci. Yeah. Well, Jodeci and, was the biggest one. Then well, no, you're you're speaking my language now. So <laughs> yeah. And whenever I would hear them, you know, those though, you know, Drew Hill, even Voice to Men, you know, oh, voice to these men, yeah. voices that just you know, they resonated not only their voice, but but the words and the songs. So, um, yeah, there's certain times my kids are laughing, but they're just like, put their hands over here. They're like, Daddy, you're too loud. <laughs> so, um, but those are the things I used, I used to love, you know, just singing with those um, those groups. I used to love it. So, so do you actually sing still, or is it just kind of a talent you've had with you since you were young? Uh. I've gotten into it more now. Um, I stopped for a long time because just, you know, fatherhood, being a husband, military, school. The only time I was singing is in the car by myself after a while, it was, you know, just to kind of calm down. Um, but outside of that, um, now my daughter, she phenomenal. Yeah. And she's nine. Wow. And she'll get to sing a sheet. Her, she, she's like me, but the other end of the spectrum, she's Pink and Alicia Keys, uh, Demi Lovato, oh god, who just these these booming, amazing voices, and she she'll sing with them, like um I don't know if you know uh this is me by Kiala Settle from the Greatest Showman soundtrack, me and her sing that together, you know, and um. That's one of my inspirational songs. It just gets me in there, you know, or like Pink, anything about Pink, it doesn't matter. You know, you can, Pink can just walk around humming the ABCs, and I'm like, genius. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Pink is very talented, by the way. Oh, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I love the fact that my daughter can enjoy singing artists that kind of remind me of the artists I grew up singing. And I, you know, and I kind of grew up singing with Pink, too. You know, she's, Pink has been out for over 20 years. Yeah. No one thinks of until now, they're like, really? Yeah, her first album was like in 95 or 96. Yeah, something like that. That's so Pink has been, a, I'm, I'm sorry, not 90, excuse me, 90, uh, 99, excuse me. Yeah, like her first album was like 99 or something like that. That's still tw so, 22 years ago. Yeah, so she's been out for a long time and still has such a phenomenal voice. So, yeah, um. Yeah, so it's, it's it's those singers who I just sit back and I'm like, wow, you know, it's beautiful. But yeah, I, she loves to sing and so do I. Yeah. So it's it's beautiful. I love it. So let's switch gears here. Uh, Mnet Solutions, right? This is your business. Uh, talk about it. What do you do? How do you help people? Um, you know, and, and what people can reach out to you for um, with Mnet Solutions. It's uh, it's actually pronounced Met. Oh, sorry. M -M -E oh, no problem. No problem. Um, pronounced M-M-E-T, MET. And what we do is, it, I mean, of course, ever since the 2008, you know, uh, financial crash, small businesses have been hurting. You know, you have um, banks that don't want to loan to certain businesses for whatever they find on the credit report. Um, MET Solutions, our goal is to make sure that you don't feel left out from that. Um, we don't want the we don't want you to go to, and I don't want to name any banks because I don't want to give anybody free publicity. But you don't want to go to more traditional banks 
and you know beg for a loan and beg for for literally months to sometimes get somewhere uh we uh take away some of that pain uh by offering alternative funding we have a vast array of lenders that are lenders and investors who are ready at a moment's notice to say hey let's start this um let's let's help you start this business or sustain your business or expand your business so we offer things such as lines of credit secured and unsecured so secured of course you have to put something up um not something you have to do but we offer that we also offer one of our biggest draws are merchant cash advances or what they call mcas and a lot of people don't really know what that is but what an mca is merchant cash advance a lender will come to you and say hey um how much revenue do you make a month and you you know whatever whether it be two thousand dollars or two million dollars they'll say okay we will give you funding and how you will pay us back is that we will take a percentage of your revenue whether it be daily, weekly, or monthly. So they're basically buying your future revenues. That way it isn't going to, and so what I think is the best benefit to that, you'll never overextend yourself. If they're only going off of the revenue that you got coming in, then whatever, whatever goes out isn't going to hurt as much. As if, you know, you go to a bank and you're like, I want $3 million. Well, how much do you make? 2000 a month. Good. Your credit, you know, no, it, your your credit rating can mess that up easily. Yeah. You're never going to get a, a payment that you can't afford, basically. Right. So it goes off the revenue of your business. I call it the strength or the profile of your business. Okay. So if your business is strong enough, if it has enough revenue, you know, you've been in business long enough. And it differs depending on everybody's financial situation, but depending on the strength of your business and how long you, you know, depending on how long you've been in business, everything else, then we can find a lender that suits you best. Uh, one thing I try to get people to understand is that um, sometimes what, what we call uh, rates, but it's, it's an interest rate, the fees, uh, it's, you can equate it to interest rates on loans. A lot of people look at now MCAs have higher interest rates they're not they, we don't call them interest rates they're just uh fees but when you try when you go to get an mca and when they look at some of those some of those fees they're like oh my god these are high well one those fees are 100 percent tax deductible 100 percent. so anything over the amount that you borrowed is tax deductible period and it's tax deductible every year that you have it wow so if it's two years in a row it's tax deductible every year so companies can also, write off their fees yeah you can write off all the fees associated with that mca another thing with it not only can you write off all of those fees but let's say you're in a you're in a you're in a buy and your business is hurting you don't want to close your doors you got like maybe a month left you can't do payroll that's exactly what the mca is for we can get you funded than 24 hours wow. from the time that you're approved to the time. And I don't mean fund it. Like they tell you, you'll get the money from the time you're approved to the time the money is deposited into your bank account, 24 hours. Wow. Now other lenders may go a little longer to 72 hours, 
But yes, you're not talking about weeks or months. We're talking days or literally hours, basically, with an MCA. Wow. Another great, for me, another great advantage to an MCA, like I said before, uh, is revenue-based. So don't worry about, oh, if I get this loan, will I be able to pay my thing? No, they only take a percentage, not a flat rate. And let me tell you the difference. This is 10, if, if, I'm just giving a number. Let's say your rate, let's say your, your return rate is 5%, meaning that every week they're going to take 5% of, of your revenue and pay it back. You don't have, there's no figuring out to that. If you made $30,000 that week, you know, 5% of that 30,000 is going back to pay that debt. You can actually work that out. Well, when it pays back, some people say, I want to pay it back every day. So what happens is automatically that 5% comes out of your bank account at the end of the day. You don't have to keep up with anything, actually. Now, it's it's just good business to do it. So just in case there are any mistakes, because like anybody else, you know, somebody pushed the wrong button or put a zero in where it's not supposed to go, then we need to start talking to people and getting things figured out. Well, that's the simplicity of the program. So I love it because it opens up the door to a lot more small businesses. Let's say your business is strong, but you're just going through a tough time. That's the best way to go. Now, we also offer SBAs, uh, Small Business Administration Loans. Uh, I love these as well. They're not as flexible as MCAs. They're not as flexible, but they do open you up to a number, but they're just the same thing. Now, they take a little longer to get. Sometimes it's about two weeks before we can get those, get you funded after you have been approved. And I want to stress, not when you submit your paperwork, but once you're approved. Because sometimes, and this is with SBAs and with MCAs, they may need more information. They may come back and say, I want tax returns. We need a longer history of bank statements. Um, we need a, instead of just getting your credit scores, we need a credit report. It's a number of things they may ask for, because in all honesty, even though the program is a little more lenient in their requirements, they are a lot more um, they'll dig a little deeper for certain things because they're not just looking at a credit score like traditional banks. They want to know, hey, how strong is this business? You know, they look at your non-sufficient funds. You know, if you've had so many of those, if you've had, if your account has been in the negative for so long. And let me tell you, I've had guys who've been in the negative for a week, two weeks, and this is running a business. They still got an MCA. Wow. So it's, it, even though they're looking at it, these underwriters know what they're looking for, though. They're not just, they're, they're, they literally, and I, I know this is going to sound like a, a horrible marketing gimmick, they want to give you this money. They really do. Um, most of these lenders, they're, they're trying to make it as, I have approved people with a credit score of 500. Wow. 500 credit score. And making 10000 a month in revenue. But when your credit score is 500, you're done. I can't think of a bank that'll look at you. I have lenders that are like 500. All the scores above 500, 500 or above. Yes, send over the paperwork because they 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 are looking to help you. Yeah, and that's why um, I love this business because that's what I'm looking to do. Um, we also offer credit card processing. Um, we offer lower rates than most others, and I think for me that's where it actually is a, a consumer um, 
it's, it's on the consumer to benefit from that because most places where people know it or not, that little surcharge, that's to pay for that credit card processing that they have to pay for. So they have to offset some of that money. So they pass it on to the customer. When you get to a point to where you can save money as a business owner in passing that, that price on, some of them don't even pass the price on because they're like, this is perfect. We can pay for this. It doesn't hurt us. And we can pass the savings on to our consumers. So the credit card processing, that's another big one. For um, the businesses that I primarily deal with are restaurants, hospitality industry, and the cannabis industry. For these three, equipment is a huge thing. You know, so we offer equipment financing. If let's say you're let's say you're trying to do a food truck and your oven in your food truck is shot, your refrigerator doesn't cool, you know, to the 47 to the 42 degrees that it's supposed to be, you know, for all meat and chicken and things like that, you're gonna need that equipment. Well, what if you don't have that money in a bulk? Let's say you don't have that money sitting in a bank somewhere. We offer equipment financing so you can actually get that and build up your food truck. I we've had people actually buy food trucks. Because they're like, okay, well, I don't have the money for this and don't have the money for this. They bought a food truck. So, and that's great for certain restaurants because they may want to reach a different demographic or they want, might want to reach out to different communities. So if a restaurant buys a food truck, we can help them out. And that's one, that's another service that we offer. Yeah. I have a lot of um, friends who have food trucks and uh, like food uh, businesses that are just getting started or. I might have to refer them out to you or at least uh, talk to you because you could help them out. Bring them, bring them, bring them. I will gladly accept. Yes. Um, it, it's kind of in my blood. My mother did low-income housing and a, a, bar, a beauty salon. She had a thrift store. The idea of just helping people, you know, everybody can't go everywhere and, you know, spend their whole paycheck on something. It's just not, it's not feasible. So I love the fact that I'm able to um, help people uh, who, you know, usually of no fault of their own, their business just isn't uh, producing what they need it to. And everybody needs that little help. And when traditional banks are like, no, nope, we don't want to take a risk on you, I say, please come to Met Solutions. We will have your business needs met, period. We go. definitely will. We will have your business needs met. That's a phrase that comes from my mother. She would always say, you know, you got to meet the need of the people, you know, and she would say, you know, you have to meet the demands, you know, and my mother was a very, very God-fearing woman. And she would say, you know, uh, I want to meet whatever challenge God has put before me. So that always rang in my head. And I was like, no, this is, this is met solutions. We're, we're on the other side of that, <laughs> you know, not just going to meet it. It's going to be met. And so that's why I tell people, have your business needs met with us. That's awesome. You know. So do you just help um, local businesses or is this a, um, like across the country type of thing? Actually international. Okay. I can help. Uh, I have been. Uh, I'm so, um, Well, I can help people in the UK, Canada and Australia. Okay. So and is nationwide here. So uh, like I said, for some of you, so for some of your listeners that are in the UK or that are in Australia or in Canada, we can help them out as well. I work with uh, Canadian lenders, UK lenders, and um, we also help with uh, real estate purchases as well. So if you're looking to 
buy a swath of land or if you're looking to cultivate a part of land that you already have. Um, if you're trying to do that through your business, we can help you there as well. Wow, that sounds awesome. So you, you basically yeah. help out all the people that, and, and even the people that do, but it's you try to help out the people that have a harder time qualifying with the big major lenders um, and get them creative uh, financing that will help get their business off the ground and that is affordable and won't put put them out, won't go make them go broke because the repayment is also flexible as well. Right, right. And one thing I'll t one thing I know, and, and I can say this about the lenders that I work with, um, if you need someone to work with you, I have had numerous because once you're approved and you're funded, I'm out of the process. I'm out of it, but I still have people who will come to me. I, 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 I'm, I'm drowning. I can't, I can't make the payment. Call them. I, I can't have them take my business. Call them. Call them because they are, they do not make money taking away your business. That's the best way I can put it. They will not make any money taking away your business. They only make money when your business succeeds. And I want people to understand that the lenders that deal in alternative funding. They make no money taking your business. It is quite the opposite. They only make money. They only going to make their money back is if they help with you and work with you. And that's with equipment financing. That's with the lines of credit. That's with, um, or not the credit card processing, of course, but with their MCAs and with the SBAs. They don't make money if they take away from you. And that's with the real estate purchases. They do not make any money taking money, taking your business away from you. They don't make money taking your equipment away from you. They don't make money doing any of that. I've had people doing equipment financing and start falling behind and have to get an MCA. And the MCA made all the difference. Wow. So, you know, one, one solution is not going to fix every problem. You know, so sometimes you may have to come back to us. I've had people that had they had great standings to go to traditional banking, but they didn't have time to wait for that. You know, when two weeks, we'll see you again. No, they needed something then. And their revenue just wasn't going to do it. So what do they do? They came to me. So they were able to get it rectified within a short amount of time and only took them eight months to pay it back. Wow. Yeah, they have terms from six months to 36 months. So, and all those things, you can actually work out with the lender. They may say, uh, we want to do 24 months. Can we do 30? Can we do 36? Because it is, they'll work with you. They'll work with you. Awesome. There's so that's why I say, <laughs> mm -hmm. they have, the, have to have your business needs met. So when you come through us, trust me, you'll have your business needs met with us. That's awesome. Where can they find you, uh, Mario? Where can they find Met Solutions? Our website is mmet-solutions. Uh, you can catch me on email, which is mario.ruffin at metsolutions.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. I'm on all of it. Okay. So. If, if you pull up Met Solutions, we will be on one of those platforms. Yeah. And we'll leave all that stuff in the descriptions below.
Yes, yes, definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah. So anything else you want to talk about real quick before we wrap it up, Mario? I have a few people that I work with that I would like to give a little bit of a, a shout out to because they do great work. Uh, Knack and Co. Uh, is for Knack and Company. They're a virtual assistance program. They handle everything from lead generation to virtual assistance, uh, accounting, all of it. And they have been great. I work with them as well. And I have a, um, I have a real estate broker that I work with, uh, Ebony Gibson. She, her company is Savvy, Pat, and Realtors. They're also great as well. Okay. Yep. So, um, uh, and I will, I will uh, make sure their information is at the bottom too. So yeah. people can reach out to them. Because other because I, everything, especially Knack and Co. and and, and uh, Savvy Pat and they're they're great. They're great people, great businesses, and they're always trying to. Both of them are um, they're managed by women. They're uh, female owned or women owned. I don't want to say the wrong term, but uh, and very and great and gracious people. So and they've helped me in my business too. So I want to make sure. I give them their plug as well, and hopefully they uh, get some distance from this as well. Yeah, we'll definitely leave all that in the description below. And uh, w I, I truly believe in Mario and his company. He's already helped me out a lot, and the Bliss Seekers out a lot. And we're on, we're on that process, which is why I definitely wanted to get him on the show. And uh, yeah, thank you. Any last words for uh, all the listeners out there? Um, Come to us, have your business needs met. Uh, I appreciate you, Isaac, for having me on here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much as well. Um, I just want to make sure I help as many people as I can. Uh, it doesn't doesn't matter who you are. Please come to me. Let me know, even if you just have questions about things. Um, I have a, a wealth of knowledge <laughs> that I can't do anything with right now. So please come to me, and uh, whatever you need, we can have your business needs met. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mario. I appreciate you. Um, and if you guys are new to the channel, we welcome you. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you smash that like button. Check out all Mario's information in the link below. And as always, follow, follow your, your bliss. bliss. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Our goal, as always, is to become the number one podcast in the world. And uh, make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already. And make sure you share this with three of your friends. And if you like our song, our intro song, please check out my good friend uh, Maroni Silva's band, A Dead Desire, on YouTube. That song is called The Mantra. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys on the next one. And as always, follow your bliss.